You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hello and welcome to On the Daily, a daily fantasy sports podcast brought to you by Rotoviz Radio. Uh, my name is Matt Lamarca. I am a writer at Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Lamarca. Super excited to be a part of the show this year. Uh, I've got two great co-hosts with me. First up, he is the Laying the Points co-host with me. He has worked at virtually every fantasy site across the industry. Likely needs no introduction for all of you football diehards out there. He is the one and only Anthony Amico, who you can find on Twitter at Amixta. Anthony, what's going on, brother? Very, very gracious introduction. This is a, a nice role reversal for us, Matt. So uh, I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and just to let you know, I don't want you to get a big head. I only introduced you first because of alphabetical order. All right? <laughs> so don't read into it. Uh, our other host, he's new to to the Rotoviz family, but I think everyone is going to be uh, happy that he's on board. He is the host of the Bogey Free Podcast. He's done some great stuff over there. I checked out a lot of his best ball work. Uh, He is Matt Jones. You can find him on Twitter at MattJonesTFR. Matt, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. We're on on Baby Watch here. I'm I'm joining the Rotoviz fam. It's It's a good day here. Yeah, and just going forward to avoid confusion, I'm Matt. You're Matt. I'm just going to call you Jones. Maybe sprinkle in a Jonesy here and there. Perfect. You know, we'll get we'll get it going that way. And just so all the listeners out there know, this is a Strong Island podcast. <laughs> all three of us from Long Island, me and Anthony, both from Lindenhurst. Matt is from Freeport, which is famously home of DeBrickashaw Ferguson. Yep. So uh, if if the accents start coming out, that's why we're going to do our best. But you can't take <laughs> the Long Island out of the podcaster. <laughs> The East Coast bias is strong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we get into the show, I just want to remind everyone you can get a special 30% discount to a Rotoviz subscription through our podcast homepage. That's rotoviz.com slash podcast. Uh, With that, you get access to all of the great content over at Rotoviz for the duration of the season. So I highly recommend taking advantage of that now that uh, kickoff is basically here. Also, we just launched a new Patreon account. You can find that at www.patreon.com slash rotovizradio. Uh, that helps support the 10 weekly podcasts that we have going during the NFL season. And becoming a subscriber also gets you access to the new live show we, we will be doing. Uh, that airs at 11 a.m. on Sundays during the NFL season. Uh, I believe it costs just $5 a month and you're going to get a minimum of four shows. So that's a nice value there. Anthony, I know you're definitely going to be involved with that. Uh, I may make an appearance or two as well, but should be a, a really nice way to get you ready for all the coverage on Sunday. Last but not least, please make sure to rate and review this show on iTunes. Five stars appreciated. And uh, you could reach out to the road of his email uh, account if you have any questions. All right. Now that that is out of the way, today we are going to be talking general cash game strategy for NFL contests. Uh, For those of you who are somewhat new to DFS, a cash game is something with a relatively flat payout structure, meaning that, you know, coming in first doesn't get you any extra money. 
generally everybody who finishes over the winning threshold is going to make roughly the same amount. So let's start with some general thoughts there. There are a few different styles of cash games. You know, we have head-to-heads, 50-50s, double-ups. Um, all of them essentially do the same thing, but the size of the, the field differs, obviously, with a head-to-head being only against one opponent. Uh, 50-50s and double-ups can be in the thousands. But roughly, if you win, you're going to double your money. Uh, Anthony, let's start with your thoughts here. How do you like to uh, split up your investment between these cash game types? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a lot on how much you're going to play. Uh, If you're a small bankroll player, like for me, I'm really into the double ups at that level. I don't think you want to pay the juice on your winnings. I think you want to build your bankroll a little bit, do that to the double ups. But uh, as you start to accrue more money, I mean, I think you have to play head to heads. I think you want to establish for yourself a decent floor every week. I think ultimately, you know, you want to you want your results to be an accurate reflection of of your ability and you know obviously you can play a lot more volume with head to heads uh, if you're you know if you're a good player i think that you will in the long run be pretty profitable in head to heads at a you know a high volume jonesy what do you think uh yeah i i tend to agree i think for me personally i've found the most success in just posting a ton of head to heads and uh just sort of grinding that that part of it. Um, I think you can, obviously, if you just throw one lineup into a 50-50 and it sucks, then you're kind of screwed. But at least if you are you get a, a bunch of head-to-heads, a lot of action through that, you can uh, hopefully run up against some guys who didn't do as well as you and you can uh, at least insulate yourself from some of that risk there. Yeah, playing a bunch of head-to-heads is going to give you a more true reflection of how good your lineup was that week, right? Like if you finish in the 40th percentile with your lineup, you're going to expect to get roughly 40% wins and 60% losses. So I do like that aspect of the head-to-head, but I'm kind of with Anthony where I like the double-ups because I'm greedy. You know what I'm saying? Like when I when I get that lineup that is you know 60th percentile or better, I want to win everything. And the only way you're going to do that for the most part is if you're in the double up contest or the 50 fifties. Um, you know, my preference is the double up out of those two, because like Anthony said, you don't have to pay the juice. And I feel like the, the cash line in both contests is pretty similar. It might be a couple points higher on the double up, but, um, I think in the long run that, you know, getting the slightly extra equity in those contests gives up the risk of, you know, finishing a point or two off the cut line. So that's my philosophy there. But I agree that you probably want a mixture of head-to-heads and double-ups because then at least you're not going completely broke in uh, on the weeks where you're, you know, in like the 25th to 40th percentile range. Um, how much do you guys think about ownership when crafting cash game lineups? I know that that's a big topic for GPPs. You want to be, you know, contrarian, at least in certain spots. Do you still think about ownership at a uh, you know at a cash game level, Jones? Let's throw it to you first this time. Honestly, I I don't. Regardless of sport, like I mostly play NFL and PGA, but either way, when I'm building a cash lineup, I don't really consider ownership at all. I really just try to go with what I think are going to be the best plays. Because, um, like we're saying, like it, it's very rare to sort of like dupe a lineup in a head-to-head so you should really just be 
I think, just chasing whatever you think is the optimal uh, cash lineup for that week. So I'd never really pay that much attention to it. Anthony? Uh, I care. I care a little bit. I mean, it's something I want to at least be aware of, uh, especially with with punts and the lower price guys, because I think that's really where you get killed with the ownership. Like up top, the guys that you're going to pay for, you know, you want to pay, you want to play the best, you want to play the guys you think are the best plays. But, you know, there's something to, at least to me, like there's something to like just having a block in if there's like a 3K guy. Like last year, like Rashard Higgins for like two or three weeks was a really, really popular play. And he wasn't even really that good. But like if you had him, like if you didn't have him in your lineup and he did well, like you were just, you would be dead. So I, I think, uh, I think at the lower end of the salary range, I care about ownership uh, a little bit more than up top. Yeah, I agree with that to an extent for sure. The low end guys in particular, that's where you really want to think about it. Like if Le'Veon Bell is getting touted as, you know, he's the nut play this week in cash games, but you don't want to play him, I don't think that's a big deal. But if there's a low priced running back, like a backup who's going to get a starting role. And uh, when we talk about running backs in particular, I'll, I'll dive into this a little deeper with some numbers, but those guys are, you know, closer to unfadable for me. Um, and that kind of goes along with what you were saying, Matt, like those guys are, are chalk for a reason, right? They're chalk because they're great plays. So you're probably going to be on them regardless of, you know, what you think in terms of ownership. But, um, yeah, for, I do think that there's something to those low price guys where you, you kind of want to take that into consideration. Um, all right, last thing here, and then we'll get into some of the more positional stuff. So I think that one of the, you know, sort of like, I don't know if it's a myth or, or or what, but one of the statements out there is that in order to be a successful DFS player, you have to be able to be a cash game grinder. Do you guys agree with that? Is that uh, I personally don't think that that's necessarily true. I'm curious to see what you guys think. Uh, Anthony, again, we'll start with you. It's a no for me, dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just think that like the current state of DFS it's all about the tournaments. Like maybe like five years ago when the field wasn't as sharp, you know, there'd be a huge edge in cash. But like right now it's like, for me, from my perspective, cash games all across the sports industry, all across DFS are getting harder. And I think that the, the average player is the most informed in football. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I might not even play cash games this year. Like I, I'm not really looking to like get a, a bunch of my money in without like a high ceiling potential, like as my return. Like, I really think that the tournaments right now are kind of where it's at. That's where a lot of the money is. Um, you know, you can see already in week one, there's a lot of really, really good prize structures where it's not necessarily like the milli obviously is, is a huge percent up top, but a lot of the other tournaments aren't. And, uh, you know, I think that you're ultimately going to need to do really well in those tournaments if you want to be, you know, more than just like a recreational player. Jones, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it. I, it, at the end of the day, it really depends on what your goals are, right? Like if you just want to, if you're just doing it for entertainment purposes and you just want to take some stabs at like big tournaments, that's that's definitely your, your prerogative. But for me personally, I use my head-to-heads as a way to uh, sort of like insulate myself from GPP losses. So I'll typically play like somewhere between 60 and 70% cash games from my bankroll and hope that I can do 
traditionally is what the case is. I I do well enough with the cash games where I can sort of eat the losses on a GPP if I just went to contrarian and like just ended up with like, you know, a bunch of like fish lineups. But um, that's sort of how I treat it. I don't think you need to do that, though. It's just my my risk tolerance leads me to do that. Yeah. And I, I it's worth saying that I think if you're playing if you're playing like a ton of volume, then you can definitely do very, very, very well on cash games. But, right. you know, if you think about like what a good ROI is in cash, like if you have like a 15% ROI in cash games, like you're probably a pretty good cash game player. Mm-hmm. But if you're only going to play like, you know, $1,000 over the course of the year, like you're not making that much money. So that's, that's like, it, again, it gets back to what you're saying, Matt, like it depends on your goals, depends on what, you know, your objectives are. Right. Yeah. And I think it, it varies on a person to person case too, right? Like Anthony, you have said that, you know, that's not a strength for you. You're not great at cash games, but you crush these low stakes GPPs. You know, Matt, you might be more of a cash game type grinder. You know, like I look at the Fantasy Labs guys, like the two guys that started that, Peter Jennings, Jonathan Bales, they could not be more different in the way that they approach contests. You know, Jennings basically made his money by just being a goat cash game player. While Bales' strength is identifying, you know, under the radar plays and banking GPPs. So I think that you want to track your results. You definitely want to try both and, and sort of determine what your strengths are. But if you're not someone who succeeds in cash games, I don't think that that's, you know, necessarily a bad thing. You just need to focus heavier on trying to win a tournament. That might be a more volatile strategy. You know, you're going to have a lot of losing weeks. But if you have just one week where you're posting, you know, a top lineup, it's it's all going to work out for you in the end. So I think that you really want to just, uh, you know, track your results and sort of determine what your strengths are. All right. Now let's get into the good stuff. Let's start with some positional breakdowns. And we are going to start at the quarterback position. And again, we're focusing here solely on cash games. We're going to do a show on GPPs next week. So if you're interested more in um, you know, looking for under the radar type stuff, we'll have you covered there as well. But for now, we're going to stick with the cash game stuff. So at the quarterback position, what do you look for in a cash game QB? And let's go with Jonesy on this one. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking to get some exposure to the higher totals during the week. Um, Obviously, that's going to be typically more popular options. Um, but that's sort of what you you have to uh, sort of chase. I really like playing home quarterbacks. Um, I was looking up looking it up before, and um, home quarterbacks that are favored by four points or more hit their point expectation fifty five percent of the time at least. So if you can add a little bit to your decision making and bump that up, you're going to be doing pretty well in uh, in your cash uh, with your cash QBs. So that's sort of what I'm what I typically focus on. Yeah. And Anthony, uh, anything to add here for we're talking, I guess, specifically about Vegas data right now. You know, what do you look for in a cash game quarterback in terms of, you know, situation? Do you like favorites, home teams, implied team total? Like what kind of stuff are you looking for here? Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of what Jones said is is kind of the deal. Like you want favorites, you want guys, uh, you know, in higher total games. Um, You know, if you care about location, like maybe like domes and stuff, you care about more. Um, but I, I think really the big thing is just, 
getting getting the guys that you think are going to be in the quality game scripts, and obviously that's a favorite. It does, it actually, I don't really care that much home and home and away. Uh, I think a lot of the home road stuff just stems from the fact that you get like more home favorites than you get road favorites. But I like I don't care that much. Like if a guy's favorite on the road, that's uh, just as good, you know, to me as like I would still play that guy over a guy that's like a home dog. Yeah, I, see, I, I'm gonna disagree with you there. I think that the home road thing is a big deal. And I don't think that the price for teams on the road, specifically good teams is really uh, deflated to the point where it makes those guys viable plays for cash games. So if you look at a home favorite and this is all from the uh, trends tool over at fantasy labs company, man, uh, they average a 0.97 plus minus 19.15 points per game and a 52% consistency rating at home as a favorite road favorite. Um, they're, they're averaging roughly the same amount of points, about a point less, we'll say, but that results in a worse plus minus And the consistency rating is below 42%. That's the big deal for me in cash games. So uh, I think that what that tells me is that these sites aren't really adjusting the prices of the favorites. Like, we know Pittsburgh on the road is a bad team, but like I think every team for the most part can be expected to see some decline when they go on the road, even if they are a favorite, but they're probably not seeing much of a price decrease. Any thoughts on that? No, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I think considering the pricing definitely is important. And, uh, you know, if you're getting the, if you're not getting like the same adjustment in both cases, like obviously you want to take advantage of the salary arbitrage. So I think that's, I think there's definitely merit to that. Yeah, and like Matt said, uh, looking at the spread, it really your 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 implied points and your actual points only seems to get higher the bigger favorite that you are. So there's really no reason to be worried about rostering a quarterback that's a big favorite. I know, like I'm an NBA guy uh, at heart. Sometimes you see a big spread and you kind of worry about the blowout factor. That doesn't seem to really be an issue in football. Because if your team scores a bunch of points, you know, the quarterback is likely going to be responsible for a a large majority of them. Even if maybe they don't see the same yardage expectation, they're going to put the ball in the end zone. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah, not only that, it's not like there's going to be enough of a blowout really in most NFL games where they're going to like bench the quarterback at, you know, like you're they're going to still end up playing the whole game and NBA that can that can be a little bit more touch and go. But for for our purposes, for a quarterback. It's very rare that it's a big enough blowout where they just like sit the fourth quarter or something yeah, like that. Good point. Um, all right, let's talk salary. Um, you know, you can get a quarterback basically in the whole range on DraftKings. There are guys who go for, you know, 8K plus. You can also got, find guys in the 4,000 to 5,000 range. Um, let's talk what is your ideal quarterback, I guess, in terms of salary. And also, how do you feel about going with these guys who are like, priced at the straight minimum. Um, Anthony, I know that you have in the past been a huge proponent of playing uh, what I'm going to call the bum backup quarterback in cash. (laughs) Is that something that you've seen the light on? Are you still going to be looking to do that this season? Talk to me a little bit. I mean, I think you won't, you always want to consider the talent of the player and the situation, the spread, all that stuff. But I mean, the, the scoring at quarterback is just so flat that, I shouldn't say flat. Like the floor at quarterback is so high that like I want to save 
I want to, I want to get the best play possible while saving as much as I, as I can. Like, I don't think that you need to pay up for the quarterback that's in the best spot every week. Um, I just think that you need to get a guy in your lineup who, you know, is, is a, is a favorite, um, isn't in necessarily like a bad matchup and, and roll from there. Like the, you know, team hashtag backup quarterbacks, like We've had some we've had some bad ones. I mean, we've we've lived through Nick Foles and we've lived through Jared Goff, uh, Min Price. Like we've we've been through the ups and downs. Of course, Jeff Fisher is responsible for both. So I uh, <laughs> just want to be on record with that. But I think that you know I think ultimately um, for me, like on DraftKings, I am probably looking to be like in the uh, like the mid, like probably like the upper five k range, maybe like the low six k range in cash. If I can get if I can get a guy like in the low fives, uh, certainly I, I will take that. Um, but that's kind of my idea. On, on FanDuel, I think you can pay up. Like I think on FanDuel, the salaries usually, uh, the salaries are usually like soft enough where you know sometimes I play Tom Brady in cash, sometimes I play uh, you know Roethlisberger in cash, like whoever the best guy is because you can fit him in. Yeah, and just going off of that, FanDuel. Um, if you look at a quarterback nine K plus. They average, obviously, the most points per game at uh, roughly 21 and a half. And they also have a 56.4% consistency rating. So I do think that there's some merit to paying up for the guys on FanDuel. Um, Matt, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always looking to find like the cheapest possible option at quarterback and cash. Like that's that's basically what I set out to do every single week, just Obviously, there are exceptions, but for the most part, I'm looking to really pay up at the at running back and wide receiver and going with the cheap quarterback allows me to do that. So I'm never I'm never too nervous to to go with those like real, real cheap quarterbacks, as long as there's like some some reasonable expectation that it's like a decent matchup. So like I, there needs to be something there. I'm not just going to play like. Tyrod and when he's like you know uh, an underdog by 14 points on the road but you know I'm I'm willing to uh to go bargain hunting at quarterback for sure yeah so I think you guys are we're all kind of on the same page except that there is like a minimum threshold for me like I I will not play a quarterback under 5k on DraftKings um they historically have a plus minus of negative 0.4 and a consistency rate of just 43.1% average points per game of 13.46. So those guys are backups for a reason. And it's because they stink for the most part. Yeah, I think, I think though, I think, yeah, I think like you said, like it matters who the guy is like, we get a lot of like Landry Jones, Jared Goff, like garbage types. Like uh, if like, like Baker Mayfield right now is 4,600. Like if Tyrod Taylor tore his ACL tomorrow, like you'd consider him at 4,600, you know, like, I, yeah, you're right. The, the guy, like the player, obviously is is the big factor, and that's where, um, you know, but that's that's where a lot of these guys are because usually by the time the season starts, these, these guys are uh, backups for a reason, like you said. Right, and we'll we'll talk about it on a week by week basis. You know, doing the show, I can't wait for the first one of these guys to come up, and you guys are both <laughs> gonna be so excited, and I'm gonna have to hose you down a little bit. <laughs> Well, I think I think it's also important to note, like it's that decision isn't being made in a vacuum either. Like you have to consider what that's allowing you to do at the other positions too. Like that's why I consider it more 
uh, more often than not because it's letting me get a few more touches at running back or a few more targets at wide receiver. So that's kind of where where my head's at with that. Yeah, my my philosophy is that it's easier to find, you know, a a low priced running back or, or especially a wide receiver that I think is in a good situation than it is to find a bum quarterback. But you know, again, we'll we'll talk about those positions a little <laughs> bit further. I think the sweet spot is is kind of like what you mentioned, Anthony, like fifty five hundred to seven k. Like that gives you um, a good consistency rating. Those guys are almost as consistent as the top guys on DraftKings, and especially when you factor in, you know, a nice implied team total, home team favorite, like all that stuff. You can pay down a bit at quarterback as long as you're still getting all those other things. And uh, to me, that's like the ideal cash game play at QB. Yeah. Give me all the things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's let's uh, let's move on to running backs. So, again, let's start with the Vegas data. What do you look for in a cash game RB, Jones? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much looking for the same thing from Vegas with all of my picks. Um, I, I like home favorites that are I think are going to see a high market share. Um, you know they're going to be much more likely to hit hit value. Um, I think something. I, I guess it's not technically Vegas, but just sort of like playing along with the weather and and taking advantage of people's overreaction to weather at all positions in DFS is probably a pretty good move as well. Just wanted to to get that in here somewhere because people can tend to overreact to that kind of stuff, and you could get you know a decent play. Um, based on, you know, the sky is falling sort of chicken little mentality that a lot of us have when we see the weather reports. Yeah, that might be more pertinent for me in GPPs than cash games, but I do agree with you, like, especially if it's if it's cold, everybody's afraid to play a quarterback. Yeah. The only time I'm ever afraid of a quarterback, really, is if he's playing in, like, a hurricane-level wind. You right. know, the wind definitely seems to have the biggest correlation, so uh, I do agree with that to an extent. Um, Anthony, what do you think here? I mean, the, the trends are really strong for, you know, guys that are favorites at running back and particularly big favorites. Like the guys, yeah, you know, the difference between like, like plus or minus three, like really doesn't make a difference to me. But once you get yeah, like a touchdown favorite or more, especially, uh, those are guys that I really want, um, you know, mostly because not only are they going to have, you know, some really good touchdown equity, but, you know, fourth quarter, you know, maybe even most of the second half, depending on the game, like you're going to get a lot of carries. Uh, and that obviously leads to more opportunities for yards and more opportunities for touchdowns. So, uh, you know, game script, I think obviously was important at quarterback, but I would say it's probably even more important at running back, uh, especially if you're looking to play like, uh, like, especially for like what it might open up in like the low dollar range. Like I think the guys who don't catch passes, especially on DraftKings where you get the full PPR, like, you know, we got like Garrett Blunt last year at like 4K against the Dolphins. They were like two touchdown favorites. Like that was a really good spot, you know. Um, I think those are things you really want to look out for. You, you can you can find a big favorite that's cheap and is going to get the ball. That's a uh, that's just a money play. Yeah, and you know to quantify that a little bit, I broke it down by spread. You know, favorite of at least seven points, three to seven, zero to three, and then in the same direction for an underdog. And unsurprisingly, seven point favorites or greater had the highest plus minus and the highest uh, point per game output and the highest consistency rating. So, yeah, that's the smash play at running back cash. 
I mean, there's a reason why that's such a strong narrative. Those guys are going to be, you know, the highest owned RBs most week. But I definitely think that's something that you uh, you want to pay attention to. Um, another thing that I thought was interesting to me was that Anthony is rocking back and forth like a baby right now and distracting me. <laughs> doing what I do. <laughs> um, another thing that I thought was interesting was the home road splits for running backs seem to be pretty drastic. So home favorites, unsurprisingly, are the best producers. They have a 1.6 plus minus. They average the most fantasy points per game, and they have the highest consistency rating. After that, road favorites, lowest plus minus, 0.17 on the plus minus, and a consistency rating of just 43%. I think that kind of goes along with what I was saying before, where I don't know if that's necessarily being priced into these guys. You know, these good running backs, when they go on the road, are probably being priced just the same as if they were playing at home, and it's just not the same situation. So... Uh, that would be a situation where I'm tentative to play a favorite is if they're on the road. Um, home dogs, on the other hand, plus 1.31 plus minus and a consistency rating of 48.7%. So if you are going to play an underdog, it definitely seems like you want to do it when they're at home. Yeah. And I, and I think that that gets back to a lot of what we'll talk about on laying the points this year. Like we're going to bet home dogs, you know, like uh, the, the teams at home definitely have a better chance of uh, you know, pulling off upsets. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because obviously if those upsets are coming. They're coming at the expense of road favorites. So yes, uh, math. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about matchups. How important are matchups? Like, do you think that, I mean, obviously a part of that is going to be reflected in the spread. So there is some correlation between the two, but you know, do you see a team that's a bad running defense? Are you willing to target them even if it's not an ideal uh, Vegas situation? Let's start with Jones. Yeah, I mean, I think that most of the times that I've fallen in love with a play that didn't work out were because I went after a matchup that I probably shouldn't have. Um I think it's important, but I think the most important thing like by far is how much volume I think a guy's going to get. Like I would rather have a running back that's going to be going to have more carries and more targets in sort of a neutral matchup than one that I'm unsure of in like more of a positive matchup. And I could care less if I actually think that they're like a talented football player because that's not (laughs) really the point. Like, it would be nice if they had all three going for them, but I feel like I care the least about like them as an actual football player. It just depends on what like the bonehead coach is going to do. Like Anthony has his whole brand to me is like <laughs> bitching about <laughs> bitching about coaching, and it's it, it's it sort of highlights a lot of that stuff for me. Like coaches are going to do dumb things, but we need to be able to predict what they're actually going to do, not what they should be doing. So volume is the king there for me. Yeah, watching Anthony tilt coaching decisions on Twitter every Sunday is just, uh, it's one of the highlights of my week. That's the best. <laughs> and it, and it's going to be coming. It's going to keep coming. I'm, I'm very <laughs> self-aware, but I, I will not stop. And dumb coaches aren't going anywhere. So no, no they're not. <laughs> the best was one week. Uh, me, Anthony, and one of our other friends from high school are in a group chat together. And all week he was like, I'm playing Todd Gurley. It was a bad matchup. This was like two years ago, I think. He didn't end up playing him. 
Gurley was like 5% owned and he just destroyed this team. <laughs> and Anthony just took himself out of the group chat. Like he, just <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't handle it. That's, so, how, that's how you know it's bad. Um, but yeah, going off of what you said, matchup to me is almost irrelevant. So I broke it down uh, percentile rating by matchup into five quadrants, you know, 81 to 100, 61 to 80, 41 to 60, 21 to 40, and 1 to 20. Um, the best result was a plus minus of plus 1.15. The worst result was a plus minus of plus 0.81. So virtually no difference in terms of matchup. The lowest quadrant of 1 to 20 percentile matchup actually had the third best plus minus. So, um, you know, take that as you will. For For me, that means that matchup is like such a, a non-factor in my opinion. Yeah. And I, you know, I think matchup is one of those things. I, I mean, we'll talk about this more probably in the GPPs, but like matchup is always something that's super touted everywhere. Like that's, that's something that's clearly, I think overrated by the public. Like it, it's really nice to have. Um, you know, I think that when it's the cherry on top, that's really, really nice, but you want the guys who are going to get touches and especially like with the matchup adjusted salaries that we get on DraftKings, um, you know, there's sometimes you get some nice opportunities in cash where like the workhorse running back is priced down just a little bit because they're facing like the Vikings or someone and uh, you know, but they're still in a position to, to get a bunch of catches, get a bunch of yards, all that stuff. You know I mean? Uh, the volume matters so much and on DraftKings, especially like the receiving volume, you know, like, in PPR formats, uh, catch is worth, you know, roughly like three and a half to- as much as a, a rush attempt is. So like you want, you want the guys who are going to catch passes. Uh, and I think on DraftKings, like matchup is probably even less important because the game script almost is less important because those guys can do uh, all the things as they say. <laughs> all the things. Um, I think every week, some of the heaviest chalk plays are at running back. Um, you know, when we see a backup running back who's going to be the starter because of an injury, um, how do you approach these guys? You know, for me, this is a completely different situation than at quarterback. You know, we, we kind of already said that, you know, talent at RB is a, a real minimal factor and it's all about volume. So how do you feel about these low price guys who are going to see nice volume and, and what are you doing with them in cash games in particular? I mean, I think you're setting setting us up here to say we got to play them. You know, <laughs> I, I feel like uh, to break down the fourth wall, that's where we're at. Like, I, uh, yeah, like we said, if we think that volume is really important, like obviously we have to think that. Obviously, we have to think that salary is important because that's you know part of the game. Um, so if you're going to get a lot of volume at a cheap cost, uh, you know, as long as it's not like the guys like a two touchdown underdog or something like that, I think uh, I think those are hashtag must plays, Jonesy. Yeah, I th- I think it's it's so hard in cash to to fade those guys and I mean, I guess in theory it could blow up on you, but sort of the same way I feel about uh quarterbacks, like you're gaining so much with salary everywhere else that you're probably going to make up for a lot of that loss even if you do even if the guy does bust, you know, like even if it's a min running back that is going to start like you're probably if you're if you're making a decent lineup, you should be able to like deal with a super cheap bust in your lineup. So I, I guess that's sort of where I'm at. So we do ownership projections at Fantasy Labs, and these numbers just 
really jumped out to me when I put them in. Um, running backs with a projected ownership above 21%. They had a plus minus of plus three. They averaged just under 20 points per game and had a consistency rating of 62.2%. So we are really good at identifying the good players at running back as a community. Um, so I think you really want to play those guys. When we get to the cheap guys, these are guys who are 5K or less on DraftKings. Listen to these numbers. Plus minus of 7.09. Average fantasy points of 15.97. And a consistency rating of 78.3%. You need to play these guys. Like that's the bottom line. If there is a low priced running back that is being touted as a good play and that we're as a community expecting to have a big workload, like you need to play them in cash games, in GPPs, in all formats. We'll dive a little bit more into the GPP aspect uh, next week, but like to me, this is the biggest, the biggest um, like must play situation in fantasy right now. Yeah, I you explain it perfectly. Like you give us the numbers, just smash lock all these guys. Like I and again, like the community aspect, I think is really important because like if you if the community is all in on a guy, like that kind of takes away the concern of like, well, oh, like, is he really the guy? Like, are we sure he's going to get all the work? Like, you know, if that's out there, then those ownerships, like that ownership won't be there. Um, you know, but it, if we can confirm that this guy is going to get a lot of the work, like we just got to lock him in. Um, last thing I want to talk about for RBs is the concept of stacking. Uh, that's more, I think, associated with quarterbacks and wide receivers, but I think QB RB stacks have some merit and we've seen that in you know, the Millie maker over the past couple of seasons. Is it something that you're ever willing to do in cash games? Yeah, I am. I, I'm, I was looking through it the other night and the, uh, the RB one for a team in uh, the situations that we've been talking about, like a decent total and favored by more than a field goal. The RB ones are as correlated to the quarterback's performance as wide receiver twos are. So if you're going to tell yourself a story where you should be stacking the pass catchers there, you should probably also be considering maybe to throw in uh, the the running back as well. So I'm I'm definitely willing to do that. Um, I, maybe it's more of a floor play. So maybe it's not necessarily a thing you want to do in GPPs. But for cash, I am always willing to do that in the right situation. Anthony? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that it's definitely viable i mean the the situations as we've kind of talked about like the situations especially from a vegas perspective that we're targeting are very very similar for both positions so uh, you know a, a really good quarterback spot is very often a really good running back spot and uh that means that we can play both and if you know you have a team that you think that's in a high total that's favored that you think is going to score a lot of points well uh you know let's just get all those touchdowns and play the quarterback and the running back i think that there's definitely Definitely a lot of merit to that. Totally agree. I think it's a great floor play for cash games. Like if you see a team with an implied team total approaching 30, playing the quarterback and the running back on that team means you're going to get, you know, a large majority of those points. So I, I love the idea of doing that stack in cash games. I think it's super viable. All right, let's move on to wide receivers and let's stick with the stacking concept. So if the QB running back stack is you know sort of a floor play i think the qb receiver stack 
is more of a ceiling play. And given that we're looking for floor more than ceiling in a cash game, uh, I honestly prefer the QB to running back stack. What do you guys think about uh, the QB wide receiver stack in cash games? Start with Jones. I, I, Sorry, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I tend to agree. I think it's more of uh, a ceiling play for me. Um, I typically... I'm I'm really trying to like when when I saw this in the the like outline I was like trying to think of a time where I actually did it and I really don't remember doing it too too often uh in cash so I would probably say that I avoid it uh, almost always um because a lot of the times like we mentioned at the top with the quarterbacks that we're playing they might not always be the best quarterbacks in the world. So getting more pieces of that offense might not always be the best idea. And a lot of times when it's a backup quarterback, it's sort of like a random wide receiver that ends up doing well. It always seems like there's a weird dynamic there. So I just I typically uh, stay away from it in cash games. I'm a lot more open to it than you. I think that if we're playing a double up and we're really concerned with, you know, just finishing in the top, you know, 45% of the contest, 44%, whatever. Uh, then yeah, like we don't really care that much about ceiling and it's okay to, to not play a QB receiver stack. Um, you know, cause there's no, there's no benefit to having, uh, you know, a hundred percentile lineup versus like a 60th percentile lineup. But in heads in head to heads, like, especially if I'm playing high volume head to heads, like there is a real benefit to having, uh, you know, the best lineup versus, uh, you know, a, a middle of the road lineup. And uh, it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily uh, seeking out the stack. But if I think that I, if I see a good play at quarterback, and I think that his receiver is also a very good play, uh, I'm not going to shy away from playing him in my cash lineup. Yeah, that you, you bring up a good point with the head to heads versus the the 50-50 double up contests. Like, I do think that you're right. Like you should have a slightly different approach depending on which type of game you're playing. Um, I, I think that you certainly can do it. I prefer to do it if a team has, you know, like a clear cut top receiver. Like that's that's probably obvious. But you know, if it's a team like the Patriots who spread the ball out, you know, I'm, I'm much less likely to do it than a team. Gronk, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to Gronk. Uh, I'm much less likely to do it than a team like the Falcons, where if I think Matt Ryan's going to have a good game, you know, I can pretty much pencil in that Julio Jones is also going to have a good game. Um, let's talk Vegas data. I, I think that Vegas data is the most interesting for wide receivers because, you know, high scoring teams obviously increase your chance for a touchdown, but touchdown production is probably the least important for wide receivers among all the positions in DFS. So how do you approach the uh, Vegas information for wide receivers? Let's start with you, Anthony. Yeah, I don't really care that much. I mean, I, we still want high totals. I think that that's something that we covet everywhere. But just in terms of the spread, it's not really as important to me. Like, I think that whatever, whatever like touchdown equity I may be gaining by having a favorite, I'm probably making up for that at least a little bit with volume if, if the receiver plays for an underdog. You know, so if the, if the game's going to have scoring at all, uh, you know, if the game's going to have scoring, then I, it doesn't matter as much to me. Um, you know, I just want to be, I'm looking more obviously at market share and I'm hoping that uh, 
this is a team that is willing to throw the football. Like I think, I think run pass split is obviously going to be pretty important. Um, you know, cause we, we see these teams that like whenever it's neutral game script, they just like to run uh, like a team like Jacksonville maybe, but you know, they get down, they get down a couple scores and all of a sudden, you know, Blake Bortles becomes uh Drew Brees or something, you know, <laughs> like in terms of attempts. So like I, uh, I don't mind, I don't mind taking underdogs at the pass catcher spots. That's kind of like, the exceptions to that rule for me, I guess. So, yeah, again, I agree to an extent. The one situation that jumped out when I dug into this data is that big underdogs, you know, meaning like seven points or more, you know, you would assume that that means garbage time. That means a lot of extra opportunities for wide receivers, but it doesn't really show up in the production. They have the lowest plus minus, the lowest raw point total, and the lowest consistency rating among each of the spread levels that I looked at. So I wouldn't go crazy targeting big underdogs, but I agree that, you know, if you're in the the touchdown or less underdog range, it's really not much different than being, you know, like a three-point favorite. Um, let's talk uh, situational stuff like home road splits on wide receivers. Do you think that matters at all? And we'll start with Jones. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think to to a certain extent, we see that that gets sort of um, that becomes pretty obvious when we look at some of the quarterback splits that we that we tend to see where guys just are not the same person on the road as they are at home. Um, But I don't know. I, I mean, I just I just really want targets like that's all I care about. Like if I think if I think that there's like a a, a reasonable concentration of targets like if you know, like last year with like the Vikings, like you could sort of bank that there were three possibilities for the most part. And those were the guys who were going to get the targets, right? Like we knew last year that Hopkins was going to get targets every single week, no matter what. Um, so I, yeah, I, I sort of just, I think that I probably ignore a lot of the other stuff with wide receivers and really I'm just like, are they going to get targets? Great. Then I want them. (laughs) Anthony? Yeah, I mean, I don't really care. I, <laughs> like, I think the home road stuff is kind of just baked into a lot of the other the other stuff that we've talked about. Yeah, so staying on brand, I'm going to continue to fade road favorites at wide receiver, just like I faded road favorites at running back and quarterback. Like, they just, the pricing algorithms don't factor road stuff heavily enough into wide receivers. So that would be my one caveat. They have the lowest plus minus, lowest consistency rating. So uh, I, w- I would, again, rather take a home underdog than a road favorite, um, all other things being equal. Let's let's talk matchup. You know, we kind of said that matchup is irrelevant at running back. I'm curious how you guys feel about matchup at receiver because it feels like it should be more important. I, I care about this a lot, actually, and I don't. I don't necessarily want to go like super, super crazy about it, but I just think like knowing the quality of the secondary that you're facing, like it has to matter. Like I I know that like the data, if you like did like a scatter plot with like, I don't know, like pro football focus grade difference and fantasy points, like you would get a not great correlation probably. But I, I think that like, I think that like specifically knowing how these teams are playing defense and who those players are on defense is really important. Like um, especially the teams that like just stick a corner on one side uh, and the guys don't move around uh, and a bunch of teams do that, obviously. 
Uh, so like if you have like a receiver that you know plays like on the right 80% of the time and you know this is a team that doesn't flip corners like you can you can that's like a bettable matchup like whatever that matchup looks like uh you know you may see that play out like at a much higher rate on the actual field so uh, I care a lot about matchup I think that um you know for the teams that do move guys around like I just like to see that there's at least like one or two weak corners in the mix because then I know that, you know, at some point, the guy that I play uh, has a chance to be matched up with a guy who stinks. And uh, that really matters to me. And, and I also like the, uh, sometimes I like the uh, positional DVOA stuff on Football Outsiders. Like, and again, I know that like the, scat, the R squared here is not necessarily great. But I think that there's something to be said for like the feel, uh, you know, for having a feel for that stuff. And I think that, uh, I, I think it matters. Yeah, I, I ran the matchup stuff again through labs like I did with running back. And um, I want to preface this by saying that it's a it's a team rating, not an individual player rating, which matters. You know, like like you said, if a team has one weak cornerback and your guy is going to be matched up against them, that's to me is a big deal. Um, on a team level, the only thing that really stood out to me is that there are definitely certain defenses that you want to avoid for wide receivers. You know, like if a team is a great secondary, like a Jacksonville um, or something like that, the the effect that it has on receivers is definitely felt in the numbers. You know, if you are ha- if you have a bottom 20th percentile matchup for wide receivers, you have a drastically lower plus minus and the consistency rating is also, you know, pretty significantly lower than in the other uh, quadrants. So or quintiles. I don't know. You're the math guy. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was the thing that stood out to me. But again, this is on a team level, not an individual level. So I think that the individual stuff probably matters more than the team stuff. Uh, Matt, you have anything you'd like to add here? Yeah. I mean, the, something that I agree with a lot of what Anthony said, something that I sort of paid more attention to last year, just because it was, it was readily available to me was looking at, uh, Hermsmeyer's air yards page and trying to get a feel for like where wide receivers are excelling depth wise and where defenses are giving up the most depth wise and sort of trying to fit those pieces together. It's not something that you can sort of just sit down and do in like 10 minutes. Like it's definitely a process to sort of match those things up. Um, But I definitely found some success finding uh, like some cheaper options at wide receiver that I probably would have overlooked otherwise. Um, So that's just one more thing I wanted to add because I thought that was super useful last year. Yeah, that's that's sharp. That's sharp. Um, Let's talk style of wide receivers. Obviously not every wide receiver in the NFL right now fits into the same mold. You have some guys who are more big play threats, you know, like a Tyree kill or a Will Fuller type. And then you have the possession types, the Jarvis Landry, Julian Edelman's. Um, Do you place an emphasis on one of the two for cash games? Obviously on DraftKings, where you receive more points per per possession, it seems like uh, possession receivers would have an edge there. Is that something that you think about when you're setting your cash lineups? Uh, I think it matters a little bit, but I think you also want to consider price. Like I, I mostly don't play a guy like a Tyree kill in cash because I have to pay a lot of money for, you know, a lot of variants. Um, but like at the cheap levels, I, I wouldn't care as much. Like I, I played Tyrell Williams a few times last year. Like I think if you're playing 
Um, if you can find like a, an appetizing punt play and his range of outcomes is really, really wide, that's, that's okay. Because, you know, if you hit the upper range of outcomes, like he gives you a chance to really dominate the week in cash. Uh, and if, even if he busts, like, because you're not paying him that much, uh, paying that much for him, like there's a chance that you still win elsewhere, uh, in your lineup and, you know, because you're buying still like more var- like more ceiling at the other positions. So you can still make up that difference, uh, you know, at running back quarterback, stuff like that. So I, uh, I care a lot more, I, I would say, I guess for the guys that I'm paying the money to. Yeah. I think that makes total sense to me. Um, Matt, anything you'd like to add here? Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I go, especially in cash. I'm, I'm really, um, I'm very hesitant to play guys that are, that could give me a zero if they're going to cost me anything. So yeah, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. Next week, we'll talk about it a little bit differently with the GPPs, but for cash purposes, that's definitely where I'm at. Last up for the wide receivers. On DraftKings, do you typically prefer to go with a running back or a wide receiver in the flex spot? Um, I think given all the stuff we've talked about, RB seems like the the logical answer here to me, but curious to see if you guys have a different opinion. Let's start with Jones. Yeah, I I looked back a little bit through my cash lineups last year, and I definitely tend to uh, go with running back in cash. Um Again, it's it's really just more of trying to lock in that floor. Like as much as we think we can count on wide receivers, and most of the time it works out. There are definitely times where a guy can sort of just see like no targets inexplicably. Um, and with running back, I just feel like I have a better feel for their workload, whether it's carries or targets. So I'm I'm more likely in cash to go running back there. Yeah, I mean, I think especially on Fanduel. Because they they have the flex now too, uh, the Fanduel flex. Welcome to the twenty first century Fanduel. Yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> you definitely, if you're only getting a half point per catch, like I think you have to play a running back in that flex spot. I think on uh, on DraftKings, I I divert from running back uh, at like a decent clip, and it's usually with like the low price tight ends. Like if I get uh, the volume that I I think is not always necessarily well priced by DraftKings because they're considering obviously the position. Um, but if you can get some decent volume with, you know, a Jack Doyle or a Jordan Reed, like someone who's uh, a little cheaper and, and you can trust, like I'll flex one of those guys because the salary savings is really, really good. Yeah. Way to, way to jump ahead. I asked you if you prefer a running back or a wide receiver <laughs> and you go on a whole rant about tight ends. Well, I like the tight end. I like to flex the tight end. I mean, you, you gave me you gave me two choices and the best choice was not listed. So, you know, <laughs> I'm helping you out. <laughs> As punishment, you are about to do the live read for RotoQL. <laughs> well, listen, if you guys want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league, look no further. Download SquadQL, the swaggiest and best mobile app. To crush your friends and rivals this year, SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and the free agent pool. You may ask, how does SquadQL actually do this? Well, I'll tell you. The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster and league scoring system. SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus the app gives you player rankings each week. And it's all based on your league settings. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. Head to squadql.com 
to download Squad QL, your all-in-one fantasy football manager. Squad QL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy optimizer trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android. All right, let's get into tight ends now, since Anthony couldn't wait. Um, you know I love tight ends. <laughs> you know <laughs> I love them. Let's start with the high price guys, and I, I want to start particularly by talking with about Gronk. So I feel like every week the question is at tight end to Gronk or not to Gronk. Um, in general, how do you guys feel about paying up for for Gronkowski and getting his you know perceived safety and production at a spot that can be pretty volatile? We'll start with Amico. Hey, there we go. Tight ends. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on the site. Like on FanDuel, very similar to like that quarterback. Like sometimes I will gronk because the pricing I think allows me to do so, especially when we get like these cheap plays, like a, a really cheap play on FanDuel is worth a lot more to me than a really cheap play on DraftKings. Uh, I shouldn't say it's worth more, but like I feel like frees up more overall salary for you. So, uh, you know, if there's like a cheap running back or something like that. Like I will gronk. On DraftKings, I probably won't. Um, just because he's priced, you know, uh, like for instance, week one, he's 6,900. Like that's that's a top 10 receiver salary. So like if I don't think he can return that kind of production and chances are, uh, you know, he probably won't, I will, uh, I will not be willing to pay that price in cash because I need to pay that price at other positions, you know, and I, you can save, you can obviously save a tight end. Yeah, that's... I- it's another position that I am I'm more than willing to uh to take some shots and go super cheap with. Um I am not much of a much of a Gronk guy. I'll just have him in all my best ball leagues and and get exposure to him that way. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think that that is the correct answer. Uh I dove into the Gronk stuff and it's pretty interesting. So, for his career and by career I mean since like 20 20- 13 or 2012 I believe that's as far back as our data goes for fantasy labs he's averaged a plus minus of negative 0.75 and a consistency rating of 46.3 percent um now last year he he beat those numbers he averaged a plus minus of 0.31 and a consistency rating of 56.3 percent um that said his baseline scoring was actually lower than it was um, just in general. So what that means to me is that Gronkowski last year in particular was priced cheaper than he had been in the past. So I looked at his salary specifically when he was above 7K, and that's when he's really disappointed. Negative 1.64 plus minus and a 44.1% consistency rating. So I think when Gronk does get into the mid to low 6K range, that's when it's totally okay to think about playing him in cash. But in general, I think that you don't want to pay up for him when he's priced at a ceiling. Let's talk about some high-priced guys who are not Rob Gronkowski. Um, You know, last year, Zach Ertz, Travis Kelsey both had great seasons. Um, Jordan Reed in the past has been a guy that, you know, fantasy owners can rely on. How do you feel about paying up for for a tight end that is not Rob Gronkowski? Jones. Yeah, I I just, I still don't do it. I like, I rarely... 
I don't know. It really needs to be like, I don't know, maybe if they're playing the Giants, a tight end's going against the Giants, <laughs> like maybe it's worth it or something like that. Like there's there are very few situations where I ever pay up for like all the way up for tight ends. The the mid tier when you get to like the Delaney Walkers of the world, that's that's where I can uh, I can get on board with you. But um, I typically don't pay all the way up for tight ends, regardless of who it is. Amico. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to pay up, I'd rather just get the best guy, right? Like, I don't... And I don't think that ultimately, like, these other guys have nearly as much touch on equity, which is really the big thing for me. Like, Kelsey Ertz, those guys have not scored nearly as many touchdowns as Gronkowski. Um, You know, and I think that when you pay for Gronk, like, you're obviously buying that touchdown variance. Uh, But, like, to pay, like, $500 less for Kelsey, who maybe scores, like, five touchdowns all year, like, that's just not... I'm not into that. Yeah, I mean... I don't want to beat the dead horse here, but paying up for a non-Gronk tight end is maybe the worst thing you can do in cash games. Um, I looked at tight ends priced above 5K in our database and removed Gronk from the sample size. Those guys have had a negative 1.33 plus minus and a consistency rating of 36.8%. So just don't do it. If you're going to pay up, play Gronk. And if you're not going to play Gronk, go down. Um and I think one thing I've identified looking into it a little bit is that at tight end, you really kind of just want to get the cheapest guy that you can find that has a chance to score a touchdown. What do you guys think about that? I could definitely vibe with that. I mean, I, again, it's it's very similar to like what we were talking about with those cheap receivers. Like you can eat as long as like the the upside is really there. Like as long as this guy has, you know, really has a, a reasonable chance to score or, you know, catch five passes or something like that. Like, if he stinks, you you can eat that because it's cheap. And if he's good, he puts you in really good situation to. I, I keep thinking win your week like it's season long, but like you know, <laughs> like put out like a, an upper percentile lineup. You know, especially since you can go really really low at tight end, like you can go twenty five hundred. Yeah. Um. So sometimes you get these guys who, uh, you know, all of a sudden their position is really really injured and they're like the only tight end and they're twenty five hundred and you're like okay, like if he catches three passes, like we're already there. And also, not that there's like a ton of like super casual players, at least in head to heads, but you do run into people who are just going to be like, oh, I I have to play Gronk. Like, and if you get a touchdown from one of these cheap tight ends and you pay $4,000 less for your tight end, you're doing pretty good. So that's, I typically am just shooting for a higher total and hoping to grab that touchdown. Yeah. you, You bring up the total, which is interesting to me. Um, because I fully expected there to be a nice correlation between, you know, teams with a big implied team total and tight end scoring, because again, it seems like you just want to find a cheap guy who can score, but the numbers don't necessarily agree with that. Um, the, the highest plus minus for tight ends in the scorings, uh, that I ran were teams projected for 20 to 22 points. Um, you know, and I went all the way up to 30 and 30 plus like that. So what that tells me is that the guys who are in offenses that maybe don't have a huge implied team total are getting priced down super cheap. And that's really where the value comes from. Like if you're targeting a tight end for a team that's projected to score at least 26 points, those, those tight ends, I would imagine have a higher average salary than the tight ends for lower projected offenses that week. And I really think that the upside for those guys is negligible. So I'm really like this season, I really think at tight end for cash games, I'm just trying to find the cheapest guy who isn't playing for an absolute disaster of an offense. 
It's a solid yeah. strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when you look at teams implied for 20 points or less, that's when you see a real drop-off. But as long as they're over 20, I'm looking for the 2,500 to 3K type guy that I could plug in. Um, Anthony, do you ever consider rostering a tight end in the flex spot on DraftKings? You know, it's interesting that you say that, Matt. Um, I can't wait to hear this personally. I am. I mean, you can t- you can tell obviously that I like was excited to talk about this before. Um, I mean, I just think it's a really good play. I think it's like of like the few edges left in cash games on in football right now. Like, I think that this is one of the edges because. It's definitely it's definitely something that I think a lot more casual players just aren't comfortable doing. Uh, so, you know, you get a little extra savings and you get a little differentiation from a good part of the field. Uh, you know, especially like if there's weeks where like there's two very popular tight ends. Like, I, I think it's just really nice to jam one in the tight end, one in the flex, and then you can get, you know, some of these other studs. Like, obviously, if it's a week that has one or two, like, really cheap guys at running back or maybe there's like a really good quarterback that's cheap like then it's not really as viable because you're not really getting that big of an edge but on a week where like and this happens a ton during the buys where like there's just no good cheap plays and you just want to get like Lev and dj or something you can do it and you can do it by using your tight end in the flex jones yeah i mean it's it's definitely a way to differentiate yourself for sure um it's not something that I typically do in cash, but I think Anthony might have just talked me into considering it at least a little bit. Um, as far as, again, like next week, we'll, we'll dive a lot deeper into that because it's something that I really like doing in GPPs. Yeah, so Anthony's spot on here. The numbers support playing two tight ends, like the baseline imply, or uh, the, the plus minus for these guys and consistency rating is typically higher than that for a wide receiver. And that probably has to do with the fact that they are so cheap. Um, So yeah, I think that if you're not going to play a running back, and I still do support playing three running backs whenever possible, but if you're not going to do that, two tight ends, totally, totally fine. Um, And unsurprisingly, home favorites are the best targets in these situations, but there's not a huge drop-off between the rest of them, you know, home dog, road favorite, road dog, all approximately the same uh, plus minus there. Home favorites are the only ones that really stand out. All right, let's quickly talk about defenses. Um, I think defenses probably don't get the love that they deserve in the fantasy community. I know that when I was first starting out, I would just sort of build a lineup and then kind of pick a defense that fit into, you know, whatever remaining salary that I had. But I think that's a huge hole. I think that's a a really big leak that I've been looking to fix as I, you know, quote unquote, get better at this game. Um, You know, if you think about it, you would never do that with a running back, right? You would never be like, well, I have 4K left. What running back can I jam in? So why do we do it with defenses? So how do you guys feel about lineup construction as it comes to defenses? Like, do you feel like you treat them as an equal part of your team or is it more of a, I have this much left and I'm going to see what I can do? I mean, after that speech, I, I feel like a real fish with what my answer was going to be. So I don't even know if I want to <laughs> answer this question. No, it's, it honestly, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's something that I 
almost never consider unless there's like a, a very clear, um, you know, like a very clear option. What I typically am just looking for if like, let's say, you know, I have like a, a couple hundred dollars wiggle room either way with like some of the cheaper defenses, I typically am just like hoping for sacks. And if I if I manage to get a turnover from them, I'm pretty happy. Um, but it's definitely something that I need to uh, that I need to start considering a little bit more uh, moving forward. Hey, defenses, defenses get roster spots too, man. Like uh, I, I care about defenses. I actually, if I'm building a cash lineup, will usually start by just trying to figure out like what defenses I'm willing to play and how much salary that leaves me. So uh, here I really want home teams uh, and I really want, I really like, obviously teams that are, uh, you know, that have a good spread. Like I don't really care that much about total. I actually think that total is probably like way overrated at defense. Um, the spread is really what matters. Cause you know, if you get the better game script, then you're, you're getting like more turnovers, stuff like that. Uh, but I think that like, even in a high scoring game, you know, sometimes like these high scoring games that one of the defenses is like 2k or 2200, whatever. Like I actually think that that's a really nice spot to attack. Um, because, you know, if you have these high-scoring games, that usually means that there's a lot of passing, and that means a lot more opportunities for sacks and for uh, interceptions. So I, uh, I actually like to target those kinds of, those kinds of games. You know, I prefer home teams. Uh, you know, and, and it, I wouldn't say I consider them an equal to the rest of the roster because I obviously prefer, obviously prefer to, uh, you know, get the, the best plays at the other positions. But I, I really think that defense matters, and I think it's an edge. Like I think again, like the guys who earmuffs Matt, uh, the guys who the guys who don't <laughs> care about defense and just pick a defense, uh, you know, you can you can pick up some points against guys who do that because they just don't you know they don't care. They just pick a team. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think that the spread matters more than the implied team total. Like you want to get that opposing team in chase mode where they're throwing because you can generate sacks, fumbles, and interceptions that way. You know, um, The amount of points that the defense gets in terms of points, points allowed is really pretty minimal unless you're picking a team that pitches a shutout. So uh, you know, unless you think you're going to get a team that's going to hold the opposing squad to like seven points or less, I think that the uh, opponent implied team total is pretty, pretty minimal. And I think that's huge in guaranteed prize pools, especially like you can almost always guarantee that the team with the lowest opponent implied team total is going to be the highest on defense, even if they don't necessarily have the same uh, ceiling as some of these other teams. Uh, any anything you guys want to add for cash games before we sign off here? I mean, I, I, I said that I might not play cash games at all this year. And then I gave all this advice like I, I, I might play cash games, you know, like I'm not. Doesn't just doing the show jack you up for it a little bit? Yeah, like the, the doing the show like makes me want to just like try to find the best plays every week and and build a lineup. Like the really nice thing about cash is that it is kind of like the best puzzle you can ever try to solve. You know, like tournaments, like ultimately, like we're just trying to we're trying to get upside and stuff. Like we're not really doing like what's optimal per se, but like in cash, like trying to really figure out each week like what the best team is. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of fun with that. Yeah, I mean, I I play cash in PGA, so like you know, I'm playing cash in NFL. Like, it's it, I, you know, I'm one of the sickos that does that for golf. So I, you can imagine that you'll you'll run into me in the head to head lobby at some point this year. 
Yeah, my first big score, my first, you know, like multiple thousand dollar score in NBA came when I just GPP'd my cash lineup, ran a three man train and finished in the top five. So like, even though we're saying that, you know, cash game is low upside, like the same factors that go into making a good cash team can also make it a good GPP team. So I don't want you to think that like, you need to have two completely different mindsets. Like, yes, there are certain things that make a cash lineup more optimal for cash and a GPP lineup more optimal for GPPs, but you can definitely go both ways with those. So yeah, I think that, you know, having a good base in cash is definitely important regardless of what type of games you're going to play. You should at least have pieces of your cash lineup in GPP teams. Right. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of On the Daily. For Anthony Amico and Matt Jones, I am Matt LaMarca. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. <laughs>